So being out there telling your story again and again and again, even if you feel like no one's listening, is important. And even if you don't win the 50K, um, the experience is still really, really important to master your craft of presenting. Very excited about this next session because it really represents what this event is all about, bringing together corporates, investors, and the university community to build businesses. And what's really great about this one is it was just acquired, so this story is really hot off the presses. I'm here with Michael Johnson, the CEO and co-founder of Visical. Michael, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. So in a nutshell, you know, you started this company while at Rutgers, five years later, a couple weeks ago now, it was just acquired. What's the, what's the differentiating entrepreneurial story? Like what made this work? What, what should people know about Visical? Yeah, so we're, um, we're a biotech company. It's focused on helping pharma companies get drugs to market more quickly and reducing costs. And we developed a bunch of technologies for helping out with that at Rutgers University that we spun out of the university. And I think for us, the big thing, the big takeaway was always being open to where our technology fit in. A lot of tech founders try and push the technology. They say, I have this feature, I have this functionality, I'll buy it. And in reality, what we're looking for is what our customer and client, what their actual problem is. And we always focused on that. And we changed our business plan, our focus six or seven times in really fundamental ways that landed us to be a contract research services company instead of a product company, instead of a pharma or therapeutic company. So we had this technology and found out exactly where it fit in by listening to our uh, clients and customers, and then went after that. And that allowed us to be really successful. Can you say that again? A contract research something? What, what, what did you say? You let you you yeah, figured out so you were um, a contract research services company. So we help pharmaceutical companies and biotechs by providing them with contract research. Uh, services. They come to us with a specific type of research problem, and we do that as a service. So we help them figure out if their compound or their antibody is toxic. Is it efficacious? Is it able to penetrate into a tumor? So we're answering very specific questions for them as a research project. So I, I have an 11-year-old daughter. I, I would say she's very bright, but she definitely knows nothing about what you just described. How would you describe to her what it is you guys do? I think the best example is in the context of COVID. It's something everyone, of course, knows something about. And a company like Pfizer or Moderna are companies that we work with all the time. And they have um, all sorts of therapeutics that they were pushing towards COVID. And they have all sorts of research questions they have to answer. Is it safe? Is it efficacious? Does it actually work? And the way they do that is by Remember, one- she's 11. I, I got you. I got you. But we want to get a efficacious is not yet in her vocabulary. <laughs> so we want to make sure it's safe and it also works. So those are the two big questions. And those pharma companies come to companies like us who have an expertise in answering really specific research questions. And we help them answer those questions. Is it actually safe? Is it going to cause harm to the body? Is every single person able to take it without any kind of adverse consequence? So we help them answer those questions before those drugs actually go to people. So before we do clinical studies, before we put drugs into a person, we want to make sure if they're safe and they work. And that's where we fit in as a company. So this seems like a, an area of, you know, we're being a startup. There's very little room for error here, right? And so the, the ability to bring on new clients and convince them that you are the right solution for that for the answer to the questions you just described is that much more challenging because there's so much at stake. So how did you overcome that burden with some of your clients, especially early days? 
that was a huge challenge, both starting the company, getting clients, and also getting investor funding. We were 25 years old. And typically for tech companies, you're starting a company when you're young. But for biotech companies- I want to be clear here. You're saying you individually were 25 years old, not the company was 25 uh, years old. Yeah, individually, the three of us who started the company were 25 where with tech companies, everyone's usually young. With biotech companies, everyone usually has hundreds or thousands of publications. They have years experience. They were Pfizer or Merck for 20 years. So starting a company when you were 25 is tough. And then going to Janssen or Pfizer and telling them, hey, come work with us. We have no publications and no work history, but like trust us with your most uh, cautious intellectual property that you're working with. And that is, like you said, a hard sell. So what we did is we leaned on the academic marketplace. We had a bunch of products and services that we developed, and academic researchers are really willing to try new things. So we sent out hundreds of free products and services to different academic researchers. We published those, we wrote up papers on those, we built out website pages, and we tried to build credibility. And by doing that for about the first two years of our business, we were able to convince our first client, Allergan, to work with us. And what we realized, instead of selling like a $300 bottle of reagents to a researcher at Rutgers, we could do a $30,000 project for Allergan or Pfizer for about the same amount of effort. So we decided to do that. And that's where um, we shifted. So all these academics helped us build our credibility, get publications, and we were able to make the jump into pharma where they would actually trust us with their projects. So I, I have a lot of questions from that, from that, the, those points. But let's start with how does Rutgers or how did Rutgers play a role in helping you build some of that credibility and even getting the product to market? We, well, I say we broadly, my co-founder, Tom, the brains behind our organization, he invented a bunch of technologies at Rutgers for imaging tissues, essentially allowing us to get a lot more data out of a mouse brain, a biopsy, a tumor, anything that we typically look at on a glass microscope slide, we're able to capture a lot more data. So Tom invented those while we were PhD students at Rutgers. We filed patents at Rutgers, so Rutgers helped out with that process. And then when we decided to actually start Visicall, we spun those technologies out of Rutgers, we licensed them into Visicall Inc., and we started selling and manufacturing products initially that leveraged that technology. So Rutgers was key in enabling us to have that intellectual property behind our company that truly differentiated us and allowed us to do something that other folks couldn't do. So the um, Office of Tech Transfer, well, they might have changed the name since then, uh, but helped us with that process of so actually filing patents, um, getting a license to that technology and bringing that to market um, in, a, in an effective way. So Rutgers was key to that step, which is like step zero for us starting a company. So first of all, I want you to know that the the last public talk that I did right before the pandemic, like the week before, was at Rutgers where they gave me this nice mug. So coincidentally, <laughs> I, I, I'm on brand for our conversation. Excellent. But on the IP transfer issue, you know, IP is a sensitive topic, especially for early stage entrepreneurs. In this case, obviously, it's critical you know, to your business. In many cases, it is. And software sometimes is a little different. But does, you know, in this case, does Rutgers have a percent of equity in the business? Do they, do they, and who owns the IP? And how did you work out some of those issues? 
That's a good question. So Rutgers has been trying to make that process a little bit smoother over time. So it's a bit more defined as we're trying to make it easier to spin intellectual property out of Rutgers and into companies. So they've really been working hard on that over the last few years. When we did it, we did give Rutgers a small piece of equity in Visicall Inc. So they no longer own any of the company because we sold all the shares to selling, um, like you said, two weeks ago. But um, they owned a small part of the company. And then we also had royalty payments to Rutgers based upon our products and services. So when we spun the company out, we negotiated at the same time the license with Rutgers, the details around ownership in the company, and exactly what kind of royalty payments we would pay to the university on an ongoing basis. They were very fair with that process and uh, very helpful. So I mean, would you describe Rutgers as helpful, critical, you know, what, what, how would you describe their role? Because as you know, uh, Robert Wood Johnson, the, the main sponsor of today's event, uh, w in collaboration with them, we're doing a, a startup competition. Rutgers is, is a target of, um, you know, of one of the prize categories. We think it's very important that, that we bring together various communities, but you, you've lived this story. So I'm curious what your experience was. The relationship with Rutgers is critical. Rutgers is an enormous organization, and working with large organizations is challenging, um, no matter what organization it is. But to get a company started like ours, it was critical to work with Rutgers. Rutgers has an abundance of intellectual property from all sorts of grant funding and programs, and just generally a lot of smart people working for lots of years. And getting that intellectual property out into the hands of folks who can commercialize it is crucial. So we worked really closely with them on getting that process together. We worked closely with them over the last few years on finding resources in the area, people we can reach out to, mentors, things of that nature. But they were really, really critical to the early stages of the company. So you know, often the ability to move quickly is the most important part or ingredient of a startup. And uh, you know, large institutions like Rutgers often just can't move at that same speed. So how did you work out, you know, was that an issue for you here or were you able to sort of operate regardless? Working with companies can be, big companies can be incredibly frustrating because you do want to move quickly. But what I've learned over running Visicall for all these years is that you really don't want to make the big mistakes. And the big mistakes a company like us could make is having a, an agreement or a license that doesn't make sense or filing intellectual property that isn't strong or claims that are not broad enough. So getting that together, while it's very frustrating and um, you want it to move faster and it should take a day and it's like, hey, we all agree about this. Let's just like write it down and do it. You can't really do that, unfortunately. So it takes time. But I would say that's one of those things you don't want to rush. It would be cool to move faster, but you don't want to rush it. After going through an acquisition process, you realize those are the kind of mistakes that could kill an entire deal, a decision you made like 10 years ago. So for us, I would say it took longer than I liked, but it did go pretty well. So what were some of the things that went wrong, not with Rutgers, but in general with the business? Because a lot of what we talk about, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I've dealt with a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with, I think Steve, Steve Blake, Blank talks about there's yep. some high and then a bunch of lows and another high and a bunch of lows in the entrepreneurial journey. Those lows he calls the trough of sorrow. Right. I've lived that trough of sorrow. Uh, I'm curious, what were some of the, the hurdles you dealt with you know, when, in building the company? There's lots of them. I would say we fortunately didn't make any 
giant mistakes. We made lots of little mistakes and lots of things we could have done better. And it's really, you're wearing so many different hats. Like for me personally, I'm a PhD, I'm doing accounting, I'm doing taxes, I'm doing HR, you know, lots of things I shouldn't be doing. And I'm not doing them particularly well. And it's uh, recognizing what you do well and what you don't, bringing in folks who can help out. But um, hiring, we've made some decisions on hiring that I regretted. We didn't have a good process in place. I never hired someone. Most of the people at Visicall have never had a job prior to Visicall, like including myself. So figuring a lot of those things out, like, hey, how does, uh, how does this system work? And it's like, I don't know, like, what would a company do if they did that? So that's where we've made a lot of small mistakes. It's like when you send a statement of work to a client, what should it look like? Um, what should terms of service look like? We run into like you know, all sorts of problems like that, which are growing pains. But now that we've gotten to about you know, over 20 people, a lot of those problems have kind of worked themselves out and we're putting people in place to fix all those little problems, um, but all sorts of stuff. And COVID was not fun. Running a business when the whole world was falling apart was uh, not a fun time. We held a lot of cash and we had a lot of really great clients. So it didn't hurt us that bad. Um, we didn't have to lay anybody off. We didn't furlough anybody. We are able to keep going with our staff and keep building and keep growing. And actually grew about 40% uh, revenue during COVID less than we wanted, but um, all sorts of little problems, I guess. There's no one big one I can point to, but lots of little ones. I, well, you, you definitely have the badge of honor of an entrepreneur when you say we grew at 40% and less than we wanted. I, I, you know, that constantly moving end line uh, <laughs> is something to maybe embrace. Um, you, you talked about uh, you know, the, well, actually, there was something you mentioned that I just want to be clear, because one of the things that we hope to provide as a quick commercial is for people like you who are dealing with these kinds of early stage issues to lean on organizations like Tech United to help solve some of those. What are the best hiring practices? How do I set up the right IP agreements? All those early stage issues you just talked about are exactly, uh, you know, the things we bring to our members in your, you know, in that category. So for those who are dealing with those same issues. I dealt with them myself. That's one of the reasons I got involved in, in the tech community the way that I had it was to help solve you know, some of these issues, save myself time, and, and meet other founders who are dealing with the same struggle. So I, I, I certainly don't fault you for that. And I, I appreciate that these are very common issues. And hopefully, whether, you work with, whether entrepreneurs reach out to us or other organizations, uh, you know, lean on resources to solve these things, because founders do wear lots of hats, and you, we, we, you're only good at a couple of things. Um, on the funding side, right? You know we're we're giving away a twenty five thousand dollars prize as part of uh, today's announcement with our our better wellness uh, challenge. What would that money have meant to you? And and you should be aware also part of the prizing here is um, you know high level access to Robert Wood Johnson executives for mentorship and potential trials, etc. Uh, some press support and a variety of other ways that we're looking to help accelerate these companies. So I'm curious if you know our goal is to help accelerate companies exactly like yours. And you could tell me if we're getting this wrong, but I'm, I'm curious if that would have been meaningful to you. Money is life for any company. So any dollar I could find or get my hands on, I was applying to. We wrote 20, 30 SBR grants like each year we were running our company, which are innovation research grants from the NSF and NIH for biotech companies primarily. Um, so anything we could do to get money, we did. Just because you don't have access to it, and we had a tough time finding investors early on during our process. And the thing I've learned a lot is the network is important. You never know who's going to be important. I did a business plan competition in Boston 
like six years ago and we won. There was no money associated with it, but there was a guy in the stands who was um, an executive at a small pharma company. He reached out to us uh, about six months later. We did a $300,000 project for his company. He left. He's on a new company now. We're still working with him. We've done over about half a million dollars in work for his companies just because he was in the crowd at this business plan competition. So being out there telling your story again and again and again, even if you feel like no one's listening is important. And even if you don't win the 50K, um, the experience is still really, really important to master your craft of presenting. But, but money is life for any company. I'm so glad you brought up that story. I'm curious if you're someone who believes in luck. Um, that's a good question. I, um, I think you make your own luck. The more shots you take on goal, some are actually going to go in. So for me, I just try as much as I can. And I guess in the, the day, it looks like you get lucky. But if I write 50 grants and I get one versus writing five and getting none, you look luckier, but it's it's hard work. It just you get luckier the more you work. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I because th- th- I brought that up in response to, you know, this guy happened to be in the audience. But I don't think those things are as coincidental as people think you. you maybe you did 30 other competitions before that one. That was the one that paid off. But showing up is is and putting yourself out there, putting in the hard work, as you mentioned, is a big part of the the way that I think that luck presents itself. So I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. Sleeping on a couch in South Boston and going on a five hour Amtrak for that, like it's not enjoyable, but it, you make your own luck. I'm with you on that. What did your, what did your family think about this, uh, this entrepreneurial endeavor? So my uh, parents were very traditional. They want you to like get the job, go nine to five, do like the very traditional path. So not that they were against it. They certainly supported me. And um, my wife has been around for the whole journey. So she always supported me. But I think everyone I've always worked with like didn't quite get it. They're like, why are you going to leave a normal job? I was um, I was in a PhD track. I was um, interning at Johnson & Johnson. I had like a lot of great opportunities in front of me. And I was like, forget all that. Let's jump into this company and make no money and hope for the best. So I think um, most of the people outside of my family thought I was crazy um, to do it. But I mean, it certainly has paid off in spades in a really short period of time, professionally, personally, financially. It's just early on when you well, we're doing 80, 90 hour weeks and not making any money. That's a hard thing to do and keep doing. What advice would you give? You know, I, I'm much more experienced in the software uh, technology space. So what, what advice would you give to those in the, in the biotech industry and in the health space in general as they you know, look to build their companies? There's a lot of free money out there. You just have to look for it. The Small Business Innovation Research Grants, we've gotten over $3 million in those programs. And there's all sorts of supplemental programs they have. That was the lifeblood that allowed us to get to where we are today. Running a life science company is expensive. It's not a tech company. You need um, you need benches. You need equipment. You need hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff. It's not just like smart people, internet connection, and laptops. You actually need a bunch of stuff to... Um, do your work. So that is what I would say is rely upon those free funding sources as much as possible. Lean on academic collaborators where you can. Uh, Science is just expensive. And try and find out exactly what you can do and what's your minimum viable product. Otherwise, you're just going to go through money incredibly quickly. So we're, we're fortunate enough to have uh, you know the ears of many of the Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Health folks around the table today. What advice would you give them as they look to work with early stage companies in this collaboration? We've, um, we've worked with a lot of big companies and collaborating is always tough because it's really important to come up with what are the objectives from the start? 
who's going to get what, um, who's going to fund what. And I think coming up with a work statement before you do anything is crucial because a lot of times you find someone who you want to collaborate with. You reach out and say, let's collaborate and you work together. That's not really defined exactly what's going to happen. It's not defined what success looks like, how expenses are um, actually allocated. So I think coming up with a detailed work plan before you get started is critical. Otherwise, you go down this path, you waste a bunch of time and effort, and it doesn't quite go where you want it to. So we've we've done that, and coming up with that plan is critical to making sure both parties are on exactly the same page and signed off on it. That make that makes a lot of sense. Any insights now that you know you've been in this industry for five years? I, obviously, you've pivoted a bit and seen a lot, but where do you think you know? What do you see as opportunities for innovation? In healthcare in general, biotech or otherwise, I'm curious, where do you, where do you think the ball's going? It's, um, it's insane the amount of data we now have access to. Since like we started Visical to today, the amount um, of data, your ability to process data, everything has changed. So the questions you can answer are totally different. Like in our space, instead of having a pathologist look at a glass microscope slide and tell you what stage cancer you have, you can have a computer analyze tons of different things. You can look at thousands of biomarkers all simultaneously. And I think it's figuring out where the those technologies fit in best, where we can improve patient outcomes, where we can reduce the cost to develop therapeutics. But we're in this like boom right now of technology. It's just finding out where is return on investment, where does it fit best in. Um, but that's super exciting to us. I mean, we're at like the cutting edge of that in drug discovery, really early on before therapeutics ever get to patients trying to leverage those advances. So um, yeah, I mean, the space is changing a lot, but you're going to see just more and more data and all sorts of different data analysis tools being used to answer questions that could never even be asked before. That's very interesting and ties perfectly into our next panel, which we're going to get to in a minute, but I've got a couple couple more closing questions with you. Um, why, Why sell the company? Yeah, that's a great question. It's one I like ask myself a lot. <laughs> uh, we were in this position uh, prior to even COVID, where we were growing our revenue about 40, 50% per year, just through organic growth. We were never able to get venture capital investors interested in us because we were very low risk, but we were never going to be a Facebook. We were never going to be a $10 billion company. We could be a several hundred million dollar company, but over you know, a longer draw. And because of that, we weren't that long um, side of the curve, which those VCs are in, uh, interested in. So we weren't able to really get funding. We we're too small to get private equity funding. So we we're in this place where we kind of just stuck. We can maybe get a few million dollars in funding here or there, um, or we could go to a VC, it would change our whole philosophy and spend way too much money. Um, so we were kind of stuck and we were looking for a company that would provide us with sales and marketing resources, which we don't do particularly well, and then also capital to grow our business and further um, equipment capital because of COVID became incredibly expensive and went from four or 5% up to 12, 15% for companies like us. So we were running out of ways to get money to grow our business and uh, selling for us was just the perfect partner that provided us with both money and also the resources to grow faster. So instead 
of growing 40 or 50 percent, we're trying to grow over 100 percent a year for the next few years. And it's totally feasible. We had clients just kind of knocking down our door and we could not address their questions because we couldn't grow fast enough to meet that demand. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a perfect partner for us. I've known their CEO since they started their company. And um, yeah, we got in touch and just went and closed. And it was um, it was great. It's awesome so far. It's been two weeks in, but we're super excited about it. So what's what's next for you? Um, so I'm continuing a physical for the foreseeable future, trying to grow the company. Our plan over the next three years or so is to get to about 100 employees. Um, want to get to about 15 to 20 million dollars in revenue and just keep growing. We're in a space that's growing incredibly rapidly and helping clients get drugs to patients in need is just cool. And I love the science. I love the company. So I just want to keep at it. And what, what do you think is New Jersey's opportunity? You know, we're leaning this better wellness uh, category for us. We, we have the, you know, we do better planet and clean tech. We're doing better wellness here around, around health and life sciences. We believe there's an opportunity for New Jersey to have some differentiated value here. I'm curious if you, if you agree with that, if you think that New Jersey is a place that these kinds of companies can grow. We have an abundance in New Jersey of PhDs. We have an incredibly large amount of technical talent in the state. And I think leveraging that for small companies is awesome. We have a lot of big pharma companies and mid-sized pharma companies in New Jersey, and we work closely with them. So we're very well situated here. Boston's not very far away. So it's a great uh, geographic location to be in, but also the talent pool here is awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. I think that, you know, officially you're Dr. Johnson now, right? Did you make it out of school? Yeah, I got a PhD. I picked one up. Oh, you, you picked one up along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Is that they just like leave them around? Is that it's that easy? Yeah, eventually they just give you one. If you stay long enough, I stayed five and a half years. Eventually they just give you one. So yeah. Well, congratulations on the acquisition and more more importantly on the, the, the growth of the business. It's very cool. And and like I said, perfectly represents the kinds of collaborations that we think are possible here. And hopefully with the funding from this this competition, we can help other companies like this grow. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for, for dressing up so much for today's interview. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, I know you're, you're in transit, so I, I hope you have a good trip. And normally, you know, if we're in person, we do a lot of high-fiving, but in this case, we do the high-five of the camera. So on the, on the count of three, give me the high-five, one, two, three, boom. <laughs> Great to see you. Congratulations on the success, and hopefully we'll see you, uh, you know, in New Jersey sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on Tap next.